Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The decline and fall of Christian America. These words, written in bold red letters shaped in, the, in a cross against a black uh, of, of Newsweek here, the cover of Newsweek, this appeared in 2009. And since then, Hartford Institution of Religion Re- Religious Research has stated that although 40% of Americans say they go to church, only about 20% actually attend on a regular basis. 4,000 churches close their doors every year. 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. According to Pew Research 2012, the number of nuns, that is, those who claim no religion, and the number of spiritually unaffiliated has risen in recent years to about one-fifth of the U.S. population. Vestiges of Christianity, that is, the Ten Commandments on the courtroom walls, and under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, are challenged on every front. It's okay to talk generically about God on TV, but not even Duck Dynasty's Phil Robertson is allowed to mention the name of Jesus in his concluding prayers for every episode. Now, Christian leaders debate the statistics, but I think that we instinctively already know what Mark Driscoll, pastor of a megachurch in Seattle, recently wrote. He said, we're, we're living in a post-Christian culture, a culture fundamentally opposed to faith in Jesus. Agendas other than our own control the culture and the conversation. And we feel ostracized, don't we? Because we are. We feel at times that the situation is hopeless. We become exasperated and disheartened. We long with a sense of nostalgia for the good old days when stores used to close their doors on Sundays and people used to take off work on Good Friday. And when we can't go back into time, we're sorely tempted to fall into one of two extremes. On the one hand, we're tempted to join the throng, to give in, to fall in step, to set aside the faith, God forbid. And yet on the other hand, we're tempted to sorely flee from the world, to circle the wagons, and to seek refuge in safe places where we still have control, never venturing out. Today I want to talk about this latter temptation. The temptation to disengage from the present world in which we live. The temptation to become increasingly frustrated and at times even despairing at our unfortunate circumstances in which we find ourselves. What has happened? We cry out. What have we done wrong? Are you still there, God? Why? Why have you abandoned us? Why have you left us here to be mocked and ridiculed by all of those around us? Doesn't that sound strikingly similar to the song the Israelites sang as they sat at the rivers in Babylon in exile? Psalm 137 their captors and their tormentors mocked and ridiculed, us, ridiculed them. 
Sing us a song from Zion, they said. And the exiles could only reply, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? About 600 years before Christ, the armies of the mighty Babylonian kingdom swept through Israel, captured and plundered Jerusalem, and took many, many Israelites into exile. And as they sat in in Babylon, this was their song. They, They yearned for the good old days. And sure enough, fake prophets arose and gave them a false message with empty assurance that soon, very soon, they would return to Jerusalem. They would get back to the good old days, far away from these unfortunate circumstances in which they now lived. But good old Jeremiah... Jeremiah was a true prophet of the Lord, and he would have none of it. And so Jeremiah, in the way that he usually does, writes a candid letter to those weeping by the rivers in Babylonia, and he tells them, Thus says the Lord. First, settle down and make Babylon your home. Second, do this because I have sent you there. Exiles you may be, but that is not by chance. I have placed you there. It is intentional, it is purposeful, and I desire to use you in the place where I have put you. Thirdly, seek the shalom of the city where I have exiled you. And what is more, pray to the Lord on its behalf. Now, it's unfortunate that in the English language, we really don't have a word to translate shalom. The word peace or welfare just doesn't really do it justice. You see, shalom is not just material well-being or concord between two people or two nations. Shalom denotes wholeness. It includes spiritual rightness before God. And so you see, in exhorting the exiles to seek the shalom of the city of Babylon... And to pray on its behalf. Jeremiah and the Lord was seeking the salvation of Babylon. And the Lord would bring it about, wouldn't he? Look at this declaration here from the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, made only a few scant years after the exiles had arrived. This, from a pagan king of a pagan nation, falling down on his knees before the Lord of hosts, before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what is more, declaring that this Lord of hosts was the God throughout the entire world and declaring this to the far ends of the known world at that time. The Lord of hosts did this through an exile, an exile by the name of Daniel, whom God used to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and to bring so many others to Shalom. We don't have time to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the three Magi that traveled so far from the east to visit Jesus, the Christ child. Suffice it to say that the Lord of hosts used exiles to bring this about. How crazy is that? As Robert Newton, district president of the CNH district here in the LCMS, once said, 
what people did not think was a good idea turned out to be a God idea. But that is how our Lord works in strange and bizarre ways where we hardly expect to find him. The Lord of hosts he was, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My friends, here is a man who lived as a foreigner in a strange land. Here is our Lord who did not shelter himself in the safety of his Godhead. Nor did he disengage from the world that rebelled against him. God became human. And we as humans did not accept him. We mocked, ridiculed, beat, tortured, and nailed him to a cross. And he, the Lord of hosts, in turn, prayed on our behalf. And then he submitted himself to death, to the point where he cried out that desperate cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now many might look at this and simply consider it unfortunate circumstances. He got caught up in the political machinery of his time, but you and I, we know better. We know that when he died, he died my death, and he died your death so that you and I might have eternal, everlasting shalom forever. So that you and I might never have to ask those dreaded questions, are you still there, God? Why have you left us, God? You see, what people might not think is a good thing turns out to be a God thing. But that is how our Lord works, in strange and bizarre bizarre ways, where we don't always expect to find him, and he continues to do so. And so after rising from the grave, he continues to speak and bring this shalom to all people, and this time through you and through me. And in order to do that, he must place you where he needs you, and that is in exile. Peter addresses his first letter to Christians just like you and me. Look at this. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Now, most translations have the, tra- have the comma between elect and exiles or stranger, as you see on the top there. That's the NIV translation. But the comma suggests that being, being elect is essential to who we are as children of God, but that being exiles is secondary, peripheral, unfortunate circumstances that we must tolerate until the time when we are finally brought home to heaven, or perhaps better yet, until the time when we regain control of society. The comma drives us to flee from the world, to circle the wagons, and to seek refuge in safe places where we still have control and never venture out. The problem is that there is no comma in the original Greek, and there was no comma in God's thinking. For you see, Peter addresses his letter simply to the elect exiles that have been scattered and dispersed throughout the land as part of the divine plan of the Lord of hosts. Have you left us, Lord? My God, 
Have you abandoned us? And he replies, no. Oh, no. Not at all. I have not left you. You are exactly where I want you. You are exactly where I have placed you. In my infinite wisdom, I have placed you so that you might seek the shalom of the people who are all around you, the community in which you live. You see, dropping the comma signals that we are elect only for heaven. But not only for heaven, also elect for divine service in this world, cultural outsiders seeking its shalom. What others might not see as a good thing turns out to be a God thing. And so in conclusion, my prayer for us this morning is simply this. Let us not be afraid of a changing world or attempt to retreat or disengage from this post-Christian culture in which we now live. Rather, let us rejoice at the opportunities to share shalom that we have because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Let us not put a comma between our purposeful, intentional election as the children of God and our exile here on this earth. The Lord of hosts has set you apart, not from those around you, but for those around you. Do you see how he is at work? He is once again bringing shalom to the world through you, his elect exiles. In Jesus' name, amen.